Hello, and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by Hybrid Links. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk Podcast. Today we are going to discuss the current economic environment and what it means for translation language services companies. I have invited my friend Renato Beninato to share his perspective on this important subject. We will be discussing everything from general trends to inflation, translation pricing renegotiations, impact on freelancers, and much, much more. The author of the general theory of the translation company, Renato, is recognized as one of the most experienced and accomplished experts in the translation, localization, interpretation, and language services industry. Renato has served on the executive teams for some of the localization industry's most prominent companies and founded two of the most prominent market research and consulting companies in the language services space. He was the president of ELEA, or European Language Industry Association, and also an ambassador for Translators Without Borders, a non-profit organization that provides translations for NGOs. He was also the vice president of Abrates, or the Brazilian Translators Association, and a former advisor to TAUS, or the Translation Automation User Society. He is a frequent speaker on globalization localization issues at industry events and universities around the world. He is a native Brazilian living in Seattle who speaks five languages and has lived in seven countries around the world. Renato is the author of three books on global business and founded Nimzi to provide insights to investors, analysts, buyers, and suppliers of language services. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk podcast, Renato. Thank you, Sultan. It's great to see you again and uh, to be here back on your fantastic podcast. Thank you. And it's so good to have you again on this podcast. I, I honestly miss talking to you. We normally meet in conferences, but a lot of colleagues are probably listening for the first time or haven't listened to the previous episode. So for those colleagues uh, listening to you for the first time, please provide them a quick introduction about yourself and what you do. Okay. I am the chairman of Nimzi Insights and the publisher of Multilingual Magazine. I have been in this space for about 40 years as a translator, as a business owner, as an executive in large uh, translation and localization companies, and uh, more recently as an analyst and consultant in this space. Uh, I was the founder of five companies in the language business and I enjoy this business. This is has been my life and uh, it's always exciting because it's uh, an industry that it's uh, always advancing, always changing. It's not boring at all. Oh, well, that's something I definitely agree with you. And what are you up to these days, Renato? What's keeping you busy? Well, um, I've been uh, trying to, to get inspired about, I, I have a sense that uh, we are in a period in our business that it's waiting for uh, a major shift. Uh, we've been very business as usual for uh, quite some time. So personally, what I have done, I have delegated the management of my companies to professional executives and Great. I have become a product. So. They sell my knowledge, they, they sell my experience, they sell my time 
and uh, I can focus on observing, studying, uh, analyzing, and uh, discussing what is happening in our space and what opportunities we have. So uh, with that, uh, let me hear from you about what you see today. You said that our industry is up for some changes and shifts, uh, but uh, what type of general trends you see in the industry today? What is happening and where is the industry headed in the light of everything going on around us? Okay, so uh, as usual, and I've said this multiple times, is that this industry is impervious to crisis. It's always growing, right? Uh, right. Sometimes it grows at a slower pace, sometimes it grows at a faster pace. Uh, this is an industry that uh, thrives uh, in, 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 in challenges. Uh, the pandemic was the latest, it's, it was a clear uh, uh, fear-driven um, moment in the beginning where everybody didn't know, everybody was afraid of what could happen. And then at the end of it, looking back, everybody had banner years, the best year ever, the best growth that they had expected, and so on. So um, the 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 business will the trend is upward as as usual. The what other trends I see? Um, I think that we are poised for certain reshuffle. I always remember a story that I heard about the Cochrane project, which is something that happened in the uh, medical industry, where it was a big shift from the eminence-based medicine to the evidence-based medicine. In the eminence-based, it was the fact that you were a scholar, that you had been working as a doctor for many years, gave you authority in describing what was the treatment for a disease even though that treatment might be just uh, uh, a fluke or uh, there was no scientific evidence for that, and moved from the evidence base where you use statistics data to determine what was the best course of treatment for any disease. And um, I, I heard an interview with the founder of this uh, uh, project, Cochrane, and uh, they asked him, so in the beginning, there was a lot of resistance to this change. And what happened? Uh, how did uh, most of the universities uh, in the world get to the point where uh, evidence-based treatment is the only way that uh, medicine is taught today? And the guy said, you know, our adversaries, the people who objected to our approach, died. So I think we're going through a similar phase in, in the language services industry where the, the, the generation, my generation, the generation that resists change, that was born before the internet, is retiring, is getting out of business, is moving away. And we have a, a, a digital first uh, generation of professionals in our space that look at the problems that we have in a different way. There's still a lot of, uh, especially in associations and professional organizations, a lot of uh, resistance to adopting technology from the old timers and, and people are still teaching how to, to think in terms of uh, us and them uh, to a shift where a younger generation is, has to cope with uh, 
multiple sources of, of, of information, multiple types of work environments, multiple things. It was very easy when it was a typewriter and carbon paper, but today you have to work in five different translation uh, environments, you have to uh, engage with translation memory. So that's another shift that is having happening in our space. And the final shift that I think is, is preparing to happen has to do with uh, value and money and price and things like that, because the landscape is changing on a daily basis. And uh, I'm not saying that uh, price per word is, is going to move and people are going to charge in a different way, because uh, every single attempt that I have seen in the past has failed miserably. But I think that there are different criteria that are going to be used in um, determining value of effort, value of work. So let's actually uh, focus our attention on on our topic of conversation for today, which is, um, you know, how the current economics and the situation around the world will affect uh, the language industry and the LSP business. Tell us about the macroeconomics and where does our industry stand uh, in the context of everything around us? Okay, uh, from from a, a big picture perspective, nothing is changing, right? The the reality is, uh, you've heard me say this before, when the economy is good, we translate contracts. When the economy is bad, we translate lawsuits. The type of content right. might change, but our role in, in, in infrastructure, uh, as, a, as, a, as an infrastructure for business, is not going to change. Uh, there might be some contraction in the demand, and and but it, it, it's it's not going to affect the the growth overall. Businesses need our, our role in the business uh, environment is to enable communication, and uh, businesses don't thrive or survive if they don't communicate with their customers. And when there is a crisis, there is a tendency to increase the need for communication. So from, from a macroeconomic perspective, I don't think that uh, demand is something that we need to worry about. Uh, on the supply side, the challenge that we have is that there is a scarcity of talent. Uh, it takes a long, right. long time. So it's very easy to double the volume of content overnight. It's very hard to double the number of translators. And this is where automation and productivity come into play in the conversation. The other element that we have is because our, uh, and this is macroeconomic in the sense, uh, because of the lack of maturity and also because of the fragmentation of our business, we don't dictate uh, pricing. And pricing is uh, driven by competitive forces in the market. And because the market is not very mature, especially in the low levels, the first type of conversation that providers want to have is about price and reducing price. They assume that the most important goal of the buyer is to reduce their cost of translation. And this is a very, I call this grocery store mentality, right? Uh, uh, we, we, we drive down the uh, value of the services that we provide because we don't know how to talk about value. We only know how to talk about price. 
So there is an element of, of maturity in how we position ourselves uh, in the marketplace and how we value our services. But the, the most important consequence of that is the fact that translators are not making enough money. So they're choosing to leave the industry. I recently was uh, working on a consulting project with a, uh, with a client in Brazil. And we went and we had a meeting in one of these, um, how do you call, uh, shared spaces or, or uh, um, the co-working spaces. Right. And we arrived there and the receptionist asked, oh, what, what kind of business are you in? And I said, well, we're in the translation business. And the woman says, oh, I was a translator. I say, you were? Why, why don't you work in translation anymore? Uh, so I, I, I was doing medical and pharmaceutical translation. I went to translation school, but um, it was I wasn't making enough money. I was working very hard. I wasn't making enough money. And I got pregnant. She was pregnant. And uh, I needed some stability. So this woman preferred to become a receptionist in a co-working space instead of continuing to work in a, long, in a knowledge uh, activity like translation because of the pay, because of the effort right. and the pay. So think of this. This person went to college for four years, invested in her development, invested in technology, was working from home, couldn't make a living in a decent way that she preferred to become a receptionist. Uh, this is just an illustration of how we're shooting ourselves on, on our foots, on our feet. <laughs> Where's my English? And <laughs> we, instead of uh, working together and elevating and promoting uh, this business. So I think that this combination of inflation and scarcity of talent is going to drive uh, a change in how we perceive the value of the things that we do and how we sell it in the marketplace. If it doesn't, we should. Otherwise, we're doomed to disappear. So Nimzi is very active, uh, uh, you know, monitoring what's happening in the landscape in terms of threats, opportunities and all of that. Let me ask you about what sectors and industries are expected to weather this economic downturn better than others uh, based on your research. W what do you know? I don't know much. It's still too early to talk because the 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 first of all, economic downturn. Uh, there's some controversy around that, right? There is inflation. Right. It is uh, because uh, even though there is a contraction in 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 GDP in certain countries, uh, but the, the the unemployment rates are low. There is a, 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 a heated demand for talent. Um, so inflation is uh, uh, a challenge and it's ranging from, I don't know, 4% in France to 9% in the United States to 55% in Argentina. Uh, and I don't know what it is in Zimbabwe these days, but it must be in the thousands. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the inflation is... A disease in the economy and and companies find ways to protect themselves around that let me give you a little bit of context to to this comment i started my first company in brazil in the 1980s right. this was a period where the inflation rate was 
around, I don't know, 15 to 20% a month. Um, in the following 10 years, we would reach something close to 2,000% a year in inflation. You would receive cash in, in the morning and go to the supermarket that day because the next day the prices might have gone up by 10% or your money might have been, might have been devalued by uh, 10, 15, 20%. It, it was uh, a, a crazy situation. But companies survive and they find ways to cope with this. Uh, inflation has to do with price and value. So this goes back to the early part of, of the topic that we were talking before. So what companies need to learn is how to deal and how to have conversations, creative conversations with their clients. One of the things that I recommend LSPs to do is that uh, because we're very mature as business people in general, uh, you pay for your utilities or for your cable or for your Netflix uh, 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 subscription. Your clients, your suppliers, your, your, the companies that you buy from don't ask you, oh, whether you agree if you can increase the price or not. They just increase it, right? Uh, every one of us has some type of client in our portfolio that is not monitoring price closely, that is not uh, uh, worried about price, where a 5% increase uh, might make a big difference for you and be totally unnoticeable for the client. So that client that is not monitoring the numbers of words that you translate, that client that you have been working for the last 10 years. I, I had a conversation with one of my clients recently where I was approached and they said, well, we have this client, we've been working with this client for 15 years and they haven't, they've been sending work to us regularly and they haven't been uh, uh, responding to my attempts to communicate with them. And uh, they just keep sending work, they don't want to talk. And I want to force a conversation and I wanted to offer them a discount to start the conversation, to, to get them to talk to me. And I say, why, right? What, what is the point of offering a discount? I said, if this client is not, is happy with your service, has been doing, keep sending work to you, uh, increase your price in the invoice. They're not even going to argue with you or uh, don't, you don't need to communicate. And if they think, if they notice, if they think that it's important, they're going to call you and they're going to start the conversation with you and you're going to justify that your costs are going up and that you have to increase your price. Obviously, that doesn't work with every client, but it's something that you can try and you shouldn't be afraid of doing because you can always go back and uh, give a discount if, if the client is very important and reacts negatively to it. This, if you're going to have a conversation about price with your clients, this is the time to do it. Everybody's open to it. And uh, uh, very few clients in, uh, you, you mentioned the NIMSI research, we know for a fact that the number one criterion for clients is on-time delivery. The second criterion is domain expertise. The third criterion is, is quality. And the fourth criterion is price. So if you have a relationship with your customer for over the years, don't be afraid 
to start sneaking in uh, increases in your prices, in your invoices, and you don't even need to have a conversation about it. If they question, you have a conversation and justify it. Or if you're too scared, uh, go back to the previous price. But this is the time to do this. That's that's a very very good point, uh, Renato. And uh, I, I was my next question was related to that as to whether is it a good time for translation companies to renegotiate the rates with their clients. And and you just answered that. But is it justifiable in the context of the general inflation that is widely accepted? That's that's an excuse, right? It doesn't mean that you need to increase your price by the inflation rate. We haven't increased price in this industry for. Years, I, I think that uh, I, I I usually do an exercise, Sultan. It's 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 very funny because I've been doing this exercise for twenty years, and it hasn't changed over time. I ask a client, a a, a, a final buyer, right, a localization buyer, if um, uh, um, your boss comes to you and says, "I have a project. It's uh, a million words into five languages." Um, how much do you tell your boss it's going to cost? And invariably, it's going to be between four and five million dollars. So in the mind of the customer, their fully loaded cost for translation is between 20 and 25 cents, mostly 25 cents per word, right? A million words, 25 cents per word, five languages, it's going to be a million dollars. And uh, this, uh, this is the, the, in the mind of the client, the, these prices have been constant for 20 years. How do you uh, uh, break into that? Uh, unless you won this client last week because you, you offered a price lower than your competitor, uh, clients are ready, willing to have this conversation. If they're having, if you are in a negotiation situation, uh, not this time, but in the next uh, couple of months, clients are going to start preparing their budgets for 2023. This is the time that you need to talk to them about increasing your prices and let them know, hey, client, uh, next year our prices are going to go up. Uh, I want to give you the heads up. If you have any issues, we can discuss and and this is why I say the market is ripe for this because everybody is going through this process. And you can have conversations about ways to uh, reduce the total cost without reducing the price, right? By using technology, by 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 uh, 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 improving uh, integrations. There there are many other services that you can provide that will reduce the total cost of translation for your client, even though you're increasing the price, right? You have to be creative. The, 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 the challenge here is how do I think differently? How do I think in terms of, of the value that I create for my client and not the price of the words? Uh, many years ago, I had a conversation with uh, an electronics company that was translating manuals for TVs. It was a Chinese company. And they were talking about price, 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 price. And I told them, look, how many TV sets do you sell? 100,000, 200,000, 500,000? 
divide the translation of your manual by 100,000 units that you're going to sell, then you're going to see that this doesn't make a dent in the cost of the product that you have. And you're negotiating reducing price, uh, reducing your costs by 10%, and this is going to have an effect of 0.00001% in the final cost of that TV set. And the client said, oh, I had never thought of, of it that way. If you, if you understand your client's business and you show them that it's better to have a better quality for a small increment in, in the price, and that you have the other argument is that your supply chain has increased your, your, your prices. And we should be talking about paying more for translators, otherwise they'll be leaving the industry. And I was going to ask a question exactly about that. Uh, in the context of inflation, in particular, uh, the the higher cost of goods and services, what does it mean for our industry? Well, obviously, for our customers, it means something. We can just uh, justify the cost, but you know, now our cost of our supply has also gone up. And uh, you know, for some of the larger LSPs, maintaining offices and the overhead that has gone up. So, what does overall inflation mean for us? Well, and here's, that's a very interesting point there, Sultan. You see, uh, for me, the cost of office has gone down because uh, NIMSI has gone totally virtual. <laughs> so, right. it's, it, it, and this is where I say that the, there is a, when, when I tell you that we are uh, in, in the, the doorstep of a shift in paradigms is that things like that, are the cost of technology has gone down the cost of of uh, office space in my case has been eliminated uh, 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 what is the all the only real input that we have in our space is talent right people are scarce uh, we have this whole uh, the the great resignation young people are choosing their jobs they don't want to be doing shitty jobs they don't want to be bored in the work that they do and uh, we have we struggle finding qualified project managers. And this is not, you see, uh, uh, 10 years ago, the trend, the shift was uh, uh, outsourcing to low-cost countries. Well, these low-cost countries, Argentina, China, Vietnam, uh, Peru, and Mexico, and so on, uh, uh, all these, these lower-cost countries, they have professionalized and, and, and people know their value. The, the work from home trend has made them more available to compete with your local talent here. That cost is going to go up, right? So the strategies that we had in the past to lower the cost of production are not going to be working the same way as they used to work. You want to go, you can go to Africa and find talent in Africa, but... Uh, the education levels are not there. The infrastructure is still not 100% reliable. We have uh, three people working for us in South Africa at NIMSI. The, 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 their cost is very similar to our cost with the cost with our employees in Europe, right? It's the 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 the, the market uh, is is becoming global in terms of uh, cost of talent. So uh, these are the things that we need to keep in mind and we have to reshuffle our costs and we shouldn't be afraid of talking about that. If you want, if you, the listener, uh, want to, to work 
on improving your your conversation with clients, learn how to talk about value and not price. Learn how to describe the value that you create, how your costs affect the quality of the translation that they have. Not only the cost of the translator, but the cost of the project manager, the cost of the localization engineer, the cost of the DTP professional that is working on their projects. All these things are going up and uh, are becoming more leveled in terms of, of price worldwide. So it feels like I'm I'm hammering on the same topic over and over again. You need to learn how to sell value <laughs> because no, now is absolutely. the time. I, I've said this for 20 years, but now is the time where the conversation about value has become really important. This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human-in-the-loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more. Renato, I want to hear from you about the impact of economy on other aspects of translation business, such as mergers and acquisitions, international growth, in particular for larger LSPs and so on. What are your thoughts on how the economy will affect these kinds of things? What will be the impact like? Okay, so scarcity is the word that comes up to mind. If you look at the top 100 companies in the NIMSI 100, you'll see that the majority of the companies, large companies in our market today, are owned by private equity. Ten years ago, the majority of the companies in this space were founders, uh, executives like us, like you and like me. Uh, Today, the majority of the companies in the top uh, echelons are owned by investors who want to look at the financial results before they want to talk about quality and 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 uh, anything else they look at right. the, the the ebitda so what is happening is that it's a phenomenon that is cyclical uh, you you our our uh, rankings today are top heavy you have uh, 10 companies over 300 million dollar company 300 million dollars and you very quickly go down in the rankings and the 100th company is about 12 million dollars when you talk about mergers and acquisitions uh, the cost of buying a million dollar company i mean the effort not the cost the effort for doing the acquisition of a million dollar company is the same as for a $10 million company and virtually the same as for a $50 million company. So the large buyers are not interested in buying million dollar companies. It's it's, it's a dent in in their uh, business model. They're looking for the $100 million company, $300 million company, for the $50 million companies. And there aren't many of those left. So the dynamic of this market is going to be more or less what has happened in the past. Uh, the the middle companies get acquired. There is a hole in the middle of the ranking, and the smaller companies tend to roll up, and you get uh, a few million to million, three million dollar companies that uh, merge, get into acquisitions, and they fill this void. They grow to 30, 40, 50, and then the big companies come and buy them. And this is a little dynamic that creates a funnel of business going on all the time. So the fact that there aren't companies in the middle 
has driven the value of those mid-sized companies up. The value for smaller companies is still in the same range, uh, three to five times EBITDA. The value for the 15 to $100 million companies is around 10 times EBITDA. So it pays to grow uh, if you want to sell your business and, and, and to get a better valuation for that. Another aspect of the current wave of the economic shift, if you call it that, is pass automation, as you mentioned earlier. We we see it happening everywhere, and the excuses cost and availability of labor. While the subject is beaten to death in the context of uh, automation for machine translation, where do we stand today with regards to labor availability to us, but also the rapid adoption of automation by our, our client industries? Okay, so this this is a great conversation, Sultan, because I think it's a myth. I think that what you're describing is more fear-driven than reality-driven. And I'll, I'll explain why. Uh, we're publishing sure. uh, the Language Technology Atlas, which is this... Uh, uh, tool, this this map uh, poster that we publish every year at NIMSI with uh, this year there are 800, over 800 technologies that are offered in our space. The buyers of translation and localization services, with rare exceptions, are middle managers that have very little knowledge about the complexities of machine translation. And what we sell in uh, as LSPs is the fact that we manage complexity. We manage workflows, we manage processes that are complex for, for the clients. They involve multiple languages, different language combinations, different volumes, different formats, different delivery uh, mechanisms, different delivery times. So there are many variables that need to be managed and the clients outsource that to the LSPs. What is happening with machine translation is that uh, when you talk to a layperson about machine translation, they look at it as a monolith. They think of Google Translate. Uh, right. m- most, most people think of Google Translate first because it's the first mover advantage. It's the biggest, it's the most accessible and so on. But the reality is that there are over 40 machine translation solutions. And if you look at the reports that the industry publishes about the performance of the different machine translation solutions, you're going to see that there is a half percent increase. This month, DPL is ahead of uh, Amazon Translate, which is ahead of uh, 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 Microsoft Translate, and the next month it's going to be Modern MT being ahead of uh, Google and uh, whatever, right? Um, the reality is that machine translation involves complexity in the sense that not every language pair is the same, not every direction is the same. So Japanese English is different than English Japanese in terms, even with the same tool, the performance varies uh, based on the direction. And then there is the the specialization. Do you have a generic machine translation solution? Do you have specialized machine translation solutions? Each one of these is, um, is different. And uh, one of the things that uh, we need to learn is that the clients don't know and they have to come to 
uh, an LSP, the more machine translation advances, the more solutions there are, the more relevant we become in this space because the clients have the paradox of choice in their hands. So I, 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 I tend to be uh, optimistic about this because as trans machine translation advances, it becomes more complex and we are the specialists and the clients need us. Renato, let me ask you about, uh, you know, um, w w you mentioned about the freelancers earlier. Uh, I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on the impact of the changes in economy on our most vulnerable colleagues, including freelancers that are in emerging economies. How can we make sure or they can make sure to be active, profitable, sustainable? Because at the end of the day, we all make up this uh, ecosystem. Yes. Um you see, it's it's the same problem. This is a chain, right? It's the, an eco ecosystem. The, uh, you said it. The translators are the most important element in our supply chain, but they're also the most vulnerable, the weaker, the weakest link. Um, there is another element. Uh, demographically, our industry is uh, mostly uh, our the the translation work is mostly. Uh, performed by women, um, and uh, some of these are working part-time, and they have very little negotiation power. So in the example that I gave earlier, it's easier for them to quit and move to something else than to convince a small LSP to uh, pay them more. So... I think that what I what I'm seeing in in talking to LSPs is that they're they're struggling in uh, getting talent, in retaining talent, uh, because the market is very competitive, and all it takes is uh, a vendor from outside uh, your country to offer you 20% more, and and you'll move and you'll work with them. Uh, but still. What I see more and more happening is the the veterans, the the more experienced translator just uh, checking out and uh, preferring not to work than to work for low rates, or preferring not to work just. Uh, you see, we 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 f <laughs> we should find as LSPs, we should find ways to pay more to our suppliers instead of finding ways to screw them. Uh, in a different way, this uh, uh, added distance pricing that some companies have started to to promote, and and translators are just saying no, right? It's, it's great. It's great for you that you can measure how much effort I put into the translation, but it's not worth for me economically to be working and only finding out after I I did my work how much I'm going to be paid for it. So. Uh, we all need to work together in this, in in uh, having serious conversations about how much we want. But the most vulnerable people, the I, I was once in a conference and I was moderating a panel about pricing. And I remember clearly one of our colleagues, a, a freelance translator who was uh, a mother of three kids and... Uh, her husband was unemployed. She, the husband was looking for work, uh, and she only had uh, the opportunity to work from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. in the morning, 
And uh, she didn't have time to negotiate. She didn't have time to deal with her clients during the day. She worked at night and um, not not much. She, she was doing whatever work she was able to get. We want to avoid this. We want to have good talent recognized. And the translators, don't be afraid to ask for increases. Like I said before, uh, you can either communicate that your prices are going up or you can negotiate. But don't be afraid to just say that your price is higher starting next week, or next month, next project, whatever that is. Let's let's shift gears here. And while we're talking about uh, emerging economies and, and vulnerable people, we also see conflicts and unrest and parts of the world that will directly or indirectly affect the Western economies. Uh, what kind of threats or opportunities, Renato, do they present to the language sector? So uh, the... the Obviously, the example that uh, comes to mind is Ukraine and Russia. There's a lot of talk about this uh, when the war started in February. But what has happened is that the Russian LSPs are doing business. The Ukrainian LSPs are in business and life goes on, right? Uh, Again, there's more stories there's more demand for for language services and uh, i i i believe that these are marginal uh, situations that don't really have uh, a macro effect in in the business maybe um, one of the things to to look is how china is performing because China is one of those markets that doesn't affect the general industry, even though it's a big content generator and a big exporter, but it's not a big source language, right? And uh, because prices are very depressed in in, in China, um, the 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 changes that are happening there have little macro effects for us. There they are. Uh, basically cancelled by the growth in other areas, I would say. I I, I don't see this as a, a major concern for our business as a whole. Maybe a moral concern, but not a, a, an economic concern. Speaking of China, Renato, what supply chain issues, in particular what is happening with China, both politically and economically, uh, with COVID still keeping a stranglehold on manufacturers and businesses there, do you see a shift in productivity? What opportunities opportunities do you see for our industry under the new supply chain model where countries like Vietnam or Brazil are, are picking up the slack from what China cannot deliver? Interesting. So there is another element here that is this whole uh, shift towards, and we just had here in the United States the uh, Inflation Reduction Act uh, that Biden passed, which is essentially investment in green energies. Um, this is another paradigm shift that is going to happen is you have new uh, uh, technologies, new things coming into the market, new types of content. You mentioned Vietnam and the first thing that came to mind is that I read that there is a Vietnamese electric car manufacturer that is opening a factory in the United States. Uh, this will require a lot of translation for sure. Uh, there are new brands, the whole electric car movement is is creating new brands, new relationships, new supply chains. And in the United States, the other thing that happened is there is this shift of um, 
transistor chip productions from China to the United States, and several companies are inshoring back to the United States. Uh, but at the end of the day, where the the technology is manufactured is only going to affect where that content is invoiced to. Uh, the content is going to be growing, and and it doesn't matter where it comes; it will need to be translated into the languages of the markets that uh, the product is going to be sold to. Uh, we are global by nature, right? I I like to say that. Uh, the the first disruptive innovation that happened in our industry was in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, when email started to become ubiquitous. And uh, we shifted from translations doing uh, being done in a 50-kilometer radius from your uh, office to translators do- being done by natives in-country. This wasn't how it was done before. And this is not going to change. So uh, whether the content comes from Vietnam, from uh, uh, Brazil, from uh, South Africa or Botswana, uh, it's a content in one language that needs to be converted into the other and we're going to have to do it and deliver it according to the need of the client. So this is when I say that this, this, this industry is not really affected by so many macroeconomic factors as other industries are. At the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned that our industry is ready for a change or a shift. Uh, I would like to hear your opinion. Where do you see that change happening? In what sense? Is it automation? Is it more to do with uh, what we are actually doing, moving from translation into content processing? What is exactly the shift that we are waiting for? So think think of the of, of of what happened when we moved from three three G to four G. That's what enabled right. Facebook and and uh, Twitter and LinkedIn to explode, right? Uh, now we moved from four G to five G, and from uh, uh, fossil fuel. We're moving from fossil fuel to electric engines. I was walking the other day on a bridge here near my house, and I was shocked at the number of electric cars that I saw here in Seattle, uh, compared to what I would have seen a year or two years ago. There is a, 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 a lot more presence of them. So there is, there, there, there is a, a change in the platform, let's say of the operating system of our uh, environment, of our business environment. Uh, we're going into 5G, I, I, the metaverse has become an overused uh, uh, term because we looked at this cartoonish thing that the metaverse is. But the 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 five G and uh, electric cars or or the 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 movement away from fossil fuel are two <clears throat> major shifts that will change what we translate. That will change. Uh, the platforms where we do it, uh, it's going to change the productivity that we have. But what will not change is that there's there's going to be content that needs to be converted from one language to the other and that you need people to be managing that complexity, either as project managers or as individual contributors in the case of translators, editors, DTPers, or whatever that uh, function role is. 
think uh, uh, of uh, the the Minority Report movie with uh, Tom Cruise making gestures to to review some uh, files in this uh, screen uh, transparent screen. We're moving into that direction. A lot of the things in that that uh, were described in that movie, like facial recognition, are part of our day-to-day activity, and we don't really think about that. So uh, what we do is not going to change. How we do it and uh, on what we act is probably going to change. That's the shift that I see. Speaking of um, you know climate and, and green energy sectors uh, growing, uh, I'm going to ask you about what new areas of business will find translations uh, as a means to to reach out to the world. In my business, for example, it's a bit of a shameful plug, but we do a lot of data services. So we, mm-hmm. for example, work with clients in the agriculture sector and the green energy sector where they monitor forests. And we have people, um, you know, who look at the pictures of uh, forest density, identify the number of trees and so forth. Uh Uh How would those things creep into translation business? Uh, Green energy or or sustainability is an area that no translation company specializes. And yet it's a major industry. A lot of funding is going there. Yeah, yeah. But you see, what you described is that there is software that counts the number of trees and so on. That software has a user interface. That right. software needs to be localized. There is going to be training material for that software. That training material needs to be localized. There's going to be videos and sales material for that technology, and that needs to be localized too, right? So it's not only uh, because, like I said before, everything, uh, we, we touch every aspect of um uh, business. And because of that, translation is involved in in many steps, maybe uh, not counting uh, uh, the trees, but a simple thing there. I mean, there there was internationalization and localization in that product. If you want to count in uh, English, you'll have the comma and the, the dot for thousand and decimal separators and if you do it in Europe it's going to be the dot and the comma right little stuff like that we're involved in every part of every activity and the fact that you do data uh, uh, enablement and which is a fantastic line of of expansion for business is that the data generates reports the reports need to be localized so nothing lives in a vacuum that is only available in in one language if it wants to thrive. So this is where I I I I think that even with the shifts and changes in 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 behavior in ways that things are, we are always adapting. We're always moving towards this new thing. And there's going to be value in doing the old things too. And that's another myth that I see in the industry. Uh, in general, is that we have this idea that new technologies replace old technologies. New te- technologies tend to coexist with old technologies for a long, long time. Uh, recently, I don't remember what was the situation that happened, that we uh, had to find developers that knew how to do Fortran and Pascal, which were languages that were uh, uh, taught I don't know, decades ago, because software, there's old software, legacy software that is 
underlying and lots of operations in our world, in the defense, defense space, in the finance space, in the health space. So technologies coexist. Even though we advance, we always have the old ways of doing things that need to be done. Renato, what economic indicators and gauges should we keep track of as an industry as we are moving along into the next 12 to 24 months? Uh, let me think. Um, of course, inflation, uh, because it affects our pockets as uh, individuals and as businesses, right? Um, but what what we need to be looking at is... Um, the development in new, I, I don't want to say new technologies, uh, new platforms, which is very generic. But I, I, the error that I try to avoid is to look at things in a linear way, right? That things are going to be an advance and a development on the things that we're going to do, that we're doing today. That tomorrow is going to be today uh plus five and the day after tomorrow is going to be today plus 10 and so on the reality is that you need to look at the future as a conic thing right everything is advanced advancing at different speeds uh, in, in in different ways that they affect us so uh, uh what we eat where we live where we how we are transported how we uh, 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 pay for things, how we consume uh, uh, information, all of these things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis are affected by uh, uh, advances that are happening, right? So we're, we're, we're driving electric cars, we're going to be flying on hydrogen-powered planes, uh, we're going to be uh, uh, eating genetically modified or or what this uh, alternative uh, uh, protein foods uh, we're going to be paying with uh, uh, a different type of currency that is not cash anymore this is a behavior that has changed at in 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 front of our eyes the 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 way we we interact with money right and and these are uh, uh, if we look back at the way we did things 10 years ago, uh, it's funny how much things have advanced. 10 years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to say, wow, the changes that have happened are outstanding. So think that we don't progress and we don't grow and we don't advance in a linear way. It's not only translation that is we, we have to look at. We have to look at everything around us and everything is going to grow, change, uh, improve, and require our services in, in, in different ways to deliver. The pandemic brought us uh, Zoom. The, the pandemic brought us a complete revolution in the interpreting business. And um, something else might bring a complete revolution in the way we, we do translations. So, but they will coexist. It's not a replacement. Uh, that's the, the, the limiting behavior that I see most often is thinking that everything is going to be replaced. Everything is going to be changed inexorably. That's not the situation. As you well, can see, I'm very optimistic still. 
It, that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, I always like your sense of optimism. And um, as we reach the end of this interview, uh, Renato, what is your message for the executives and everyone listening to this podcast today? What would you like to tell them about the economy and how should they build resilience? Don't wait too long uh, to try new ideas. As an executive, your job is, and, and especially in Western economies, our, our mentality is to focus on growth. And I will tell uh, you what I tell my clients. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, there are three things that you need to think about. What am I going to do today to grow my business? What am I going to do today to create value to sell my business? What am I going to do today to buy another business? These are the three ways that you can develop a growth mentality. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to try new things. Uh, and uh, don't worry because you can always uh, get up and uh, do something different the next day. One of the things that I have observed over the years is that we seldom hear about companies going bankrupt in the in the, in the language services industry. It's very rare. I can count on uh, the fingers of one hand how many stories I know of companies that have gone out of business. And uh, why? Because this is uh, a growth business. This is an area that there is room for everybody. So... Be bold, try new things, don't be afraid, and go out and find clients. Go sell. Renato, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you again. It has been a pleasure speaking with you, and this conversation is absolutely on point with regards to what is going on in the world and around us. So I hope we can cover another important topic. And in closing, let me thank you again for sharing all your thoughts. It's my pleasure, Sultan. Good job. I love being and having these conversations with you. Absolutely. It is always fun and interesting to talk to my friend Renato. He has been around in our industry for a long time and seen many shifts and tides. He's optimistic and that is something I share with him as well. This industry is resilient and shown that economic downturns have had little effect on the translation and localization services. In fact, in many cases, the demand has increased. I believe that the next 12 months will see some changes and challenges, and we have to be quick enough to adapt and adjust. Language companies will find that demand for translation and interpreting will spike in new areas such as defense, financial services, legal and regulatory, retail and e-commerce. It is important to have a strategy and plan for contingencies, but remember, fear is your biggest enemy. That is a wrap for today. I enjoyed talking to Renata and I hope you were able to pick up some ideas that you could apply to your business and change it for the better. We have many other important topics to cover in the coming weeks, so stay tuned for more. If you have any ideas for topics or guests, please do share. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or your platform of choice and give us a 5-star rating for this episode. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode. 